Paul comes in this particular passage today that we're going to be looking at, Paul comes to the climax of his argument. Uh, Paul has been addressing some false teachers. I was reading in my devotional time this week a passage out of Romans, and Paul writes there, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. That's exactly what Paul was facing here at the church, or the churches in the region of Galatia. They really, uh, there were these folks that were coming in trying to poison the minds of these young believers And Paul is writing this, and if you look at the first part of it, in fact, next week, uh, Lord willing, we'll get to chapter 3, and and Paul just almost out of frustration says, oh, you foolish Galatians, how in the world could you pay attention to this false teaching and this false doctrine? But today is kind of the climax, or the very apex, I guess is the right word to use. If you, if you look at a bell curve and you're, you're coming up, Paul has been giving these arguments, and this kind of comes up to the very top of the argument, and then he'll go back down, but it'll still be dealing with the issue of the gospel. So let's read together, beginning in chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. In other words, some Jewish people came down. They were uh, Jewish believers. Uh, They were those who still followed all the, the parts of the law that was necessary. That's why they were called the circumcision party, because they had been circumcised as Jews. And they were living... Uh, fully according to the law. Peter uh, pulled himself away from eating with the Gentiles just to eat with these Jewish Christians. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted uh, hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile, And not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified or no one will be justified in God's sight. But if we in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And this is a very famous passage of Scripture that I know you've heard plenty of times. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. I live by faith in the Son of God or of the Son of God. It can be translated either way in Greek. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose, or Christ died in vain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is such a critical passage of Scripture, and in so many ways I feel so inadequate to be able to preach the excellencies of this passage of Scripture. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would shine through every word that's spoken here today. And, Father, I pray that you would help us all to truly understand the nature of the gospel and the nature of true spiritual life that comes through the power of the gospel. Father, I pray that it would help us to keep our eyes at all times focused on you so that we would not be led astray by false teachers or false doctrine. For, Lord, there are many false teachers in our world today. There are many false teachers that would like to lead our heart astray, that would like for us to add good works to grace that comes alone in Christ through faith. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that, Father, this very day they would understand what it means to be a Christian. And they would joyfully, joyfully, uh, Lord, give their lives and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ this very day. And, Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Middle Ages, there was a blacksmith who had been imprisoned. And to keep him from running away, he was chained. Well, this guy who was a blacksmith made chains for a living, and so he knew from his making of chains that almost all chains had some kind of flaw, and so he was looking for that flaw that he might be able to break the chain and be able to get away to escape his punishment. As he studied those chains, he began to look at them, and finally he came across two marks on those chains, and immediately he gave up all hope of ever getting out of those chains because those two marks indicated to him that he himself had made those chains. And his reputation was a blacksmith who made chains that were flawless, that were unbreakable. Paul was like that blacksmith. He knew what it was like to be enslaved in the chains of his own making. Paul had dedicated his life to the Jewish law, to to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees as he described himself. He knew what it was like to be enslaved. But he also knew what it meant to be set free because on the road to Damascus when he, he came face to face with the living Lord, God changed his life radically. Because of understanding the difference between law and grace, Paul was not going to give up to these false teachers. He was not going to give in for one minute that on top of grace you needed to add something else in order to be right with God. Paul knew that life under the law and life under the Lord Jesus Christ were complete opposites. And so Paul brings his arguments in this passage to a climax of what he's been talking about, what we've been looking at over the last several weeks. Uh, And he talks about the two different aspects 
of salvation in this passage. First of all, he talks about the basis of our salvation. Let me just ask you a question. What are you trusting in for your salvation? What are you trusting in in order to be in a right relationship with God? There are basically only two different things that you can trust in. You can either trust in your good works. You can trust in some religious system, but that, that's based on your keeping that religious system is based on your good works. You, you can uh, spend time meditating, and if you think meditation will get you closer to God, then that too depends on your good works to make you in a right relationship with God. So there's either good works on the one hand, or there is grace through faith on the other hand. That's really the only two systems there are in this entire universe in order to be saved. You either trust in yourself, or you trust in what God has done through Jesus Christ at the cross. We either trust our good works, or we trust Jesus Christ. These Jews that Paul was writing to, these Judaizers, these false teachers, were claiming that a person, in order to be in a right relationship with God, not only had to be saved, not only had to put their faith and trust in Jesus, but they had to keep all the law. That means they had to be circumcised. They had to keep all the Jewish law. And, and you, if you remember anything as we've talked about, and I pastored over the last five or six years, you understand that the, the Jewish people had created so many rules and regulations around the law of God that they themselves couldn't even keep it. And yet they were expecting these Gentile believers to keep these Jewish regulations and Jewish law. They were justified... These Christians had been justified, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. They had been justified through their trust in Jesus Christ. Because as Paul says, nobody through the works of the law can be justified. Nobody through the works of the law can be in a right relationship with God. The spiritual dilemma that faces each of us today is we are incapable or incapable of overcoming the sinfulness in our lives that separates us. From God. How then can a person be right before God? That's the question that Bildad asked his friend Job. How can he who is born of woman be pure? That's another thing he asked Job. How can a guilty sinner be made right and righteous and acceptable to God? Well, God's answer to that is justification by faith. Paul made it clear that a person is justified or made righteous in God's sight, not by law, but by grace and by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul points out in a conversation that he has here about, a well, he talks about the conversation he had here with Peter when these Jewish believers came up to Antioch where they were serving to check things out. And they began to tell at that point in time, that these believers needed to be circumcised. And so Peter withdrew fellowship. He had been eating openly, which was a no-no for Jewish law. They never were to eat with Gentiles. Because Gentiles, as it says here, they're not Gentile sinners. And that's not being derogatory. That's just the way that they looked at Gentiles. The Jewish people were those who were right, rightly related to God, and everybody else wasn't, which would include the Gentiles. And so... Peter, who had been openly eating with these people, 
All of a sudden, with due fellowship, and so it's as Paul is saying, Peter, you didn't find salvation through the law, but through faith in Christ. If you say to people that they must add law to grace, it means that Jesus Christ was not powerful enough to save you. If you need the law now, you needed it in the first place when you came to Christ. So by accepting Christ through faith, you became a sinner because forsaking the law would be sin if the law were necessary for your salvation. Peter, now you either Jesus saves you or he doesn't save you. That's the kind of conversation that Paul is having with Peter. So what is justification? We talk about justification and being just. What's that word mean? Well, it's literally a legal term borrowed from the court system. The word justified means to find innocent or to declare not guilty. It's the very same thing that Pilate did after he interviewed Jesus Christ. Remember what happened when Pilate interviews Jesus and he comes back out to the crowd and what did he say? I find no fault in him. That was the legal declaration of the Roman courts. You are innocent. You are not without, you, you don't have any fault. You are justified. You are literally in the right. Here's what the Bible tells us very clearly. The wages of sin is death. So God's de declaration on sin is, if you and I commit sin, we are not only spiritually dead, but we're also in the process of dying physically. So how can that be resolved? Can it be resolved through the works of the law, through the things that we do? Can we be good enough for God to accept us? What did Isaiah said? Even your righteousnesses, even the very good things that you do, the good deeds that you do, they are filthy rags in God's sight. So even your good deeds are not going to earn you brownie points with God. That's what, basically what that verse of Scripture is saying. So how can a person be put right with God? Well, God has declared justification, this process of being declared righteous. Justification is by faith in Jesus Christ and what He did at the cross. You can be saved today. You can be put in a right relationship by God, with God by accepting what God, what Jesus Christ did at the cross. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died in our place Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. He said, if the article of justification by faith is lost, all Christian doctrine is lost. The person who doesn't believe in justification by faith is lost. Because the center point of the gospel is you can be saved only through what God has done through Jesus Christ at the cross. So if you reject that, there is no way for you to be saved. You have literally rejected the gospel. Well, preacher, what about all the Old Testament sacrifices? Let me tell you this. If you go back and you look at the Old, Old Testament sacrifices, yes, they were required by God. But these sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that was going to be made in Christ. These Old Testament sacrifices had to be offered day after day after day after day after day because people sinned every day. And this is what the, the book of Hebrews tells us. For it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away 
sins. The only effective means of dealing with our sin was the vicarious death of Jesus Christ. Vicarious is one of those words, is one of those theological words, but basically what it means is Jesus Christ died in our place or he died for our sins. Guys, it's by his stripes, Isaiah says, it's by his stripes that we are healed. Jesus Christ died in our place. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Guys, the only effective means of dealing with our sin problem is the finished work of Christ at the cross. Apart from that, a person cannot be saved. I don't care how good you are. You may be better than everybody sitting in this congregation. You may be better than everybody you know in your own eyes. But those good works cannot save you. The only thing that can put you in a right relationship with God is having your sins forgiven. And the only one that can forgive your sins is the Lord Jesus Christ. As somebody else noted, apart from justification, everything is like a band-aid on an outward sore that leaves us hemorrhaging on the inside. You're treating the symptoms. You're not treating the disease. The only basis, the only basis of salvation is justification by faith through what Jesus Christ did at the cross. When you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that God says paid in full. That's written over our balance sheet of our life, paid in full. Jesus Christ has paid in full what you and I owe God. We have been forgiven our sins, which are many, have been washed away. That is the basis of our salvation. The basis of our salvation is justification by faith. Notice the second thing that Paul talks about here. The second aspect is the outcome of our salvation. Paul describes this great transformation in a person who comes to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He he describes this new relationship that you and I have in Jesus as death and resurrection. We are crucified with Christ in order that we may walk in the newness of life. This is a mystical union that the Bible talks about. Romans 6, 4 through 5 tells us about this union. Paul says there, we are buried. And he's talking about symbolically, okay? He's not talking about physically. He's not talking about actually. He's talking symbolically. He says, we are buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Guys, that's the most perfect statement of gospel life. When you and I have been raised to walk in newness of life, the law has no more power over us. That's the whole point Paul's making in this last section. The law, once you and I have died to the law, the law has no, and we're raised to walk in the newness of life, the law law has no control over a believer. When you and I come to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, the Bible says that Jesus Christ comes into our life. The Christian life is not so much us living for God or living for Christ. It's Christ living through us. 
The law demands perfection. And you and I can never make meet perfection. But Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a perfect life without sin. He was tempted in every way just like you and I are. And you and I always give in to temptation. Jesus never did. He never once gave in to temptation. Because of that, He was God's perfect sacrifice. And so because when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ has met the demands of the law. He has fulfilled them at Calvary's cross. I have been crucified with Christ. That's a present tense verb, which when you look at, I mean, excuse me, a perfect tense verb. And a perfect tense verb is something that's happened in the past that continues to have an impact and an influence on your life. So Paul's saying, I was crucified with Christ. That continues in my life. I can't go back to the old way of life. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to the law because Christ has fulfilled the law. And now I'm walking in the newness of life. I'm walking and living in the resurrection life. It's now by faith that He lives and you and I live. A born-again person is one who's been crucified with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. And the, the challenge for us as believers is to live our life yielded to the control of God. It's allowing the Holy Spirit of God to live the Christ-centered life through us. Now, we as Christians struggle with this a lot, I know. We want to do the right thing. Sometimes we want to do the right thing because we think we're going to earn brownie points with God. And other times we, we do it for the right reason. We want God to be honored and glorified in our life in the way that we live. And so we do these things. We allow God's Spirit to live through us. And those, those things are pleasing unto God because if they're done through faith, through what Christ has done in us, then they bring honor and glory to Christ. But guys, the, those things that we do, they, they, never, they do not change our status with God. We are accepted in the Beloved. That's what Scripture tells us. There's no other grounds for our acceptance. It's not the good works that we do after we get saved. That, that does not make us any more accepted or any less accepted by God. Does it bring glory to God? Sure. When, when the Holy Spirit produces works in us, good works in us, that brings honor and glory to Christ. But it does not for one moment change our status with God. We are accepted in the Beloved. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God accepts you just like you are? I know at times we get frustrated with ourselves and we say, surely God can't love somebody like me. Guys, God's love for you doesn't depend on you. It depends on what Je who Jesus is. It depends on what Jesus has done in your life. The believer lives by allowing Christ to live in his life. Listen to what Jesus said over in John chapter 15. Jesus told his disciples, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in him, in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Does that, do you get that? Do you understand? It's, it's what the Holy Spirit produces in us that's pleasing unto God. The Christian life is really a paradox. 
And I'm going to have to read this because I can't remember it. The Christian is not only a dead person who is alive, but the Christian is one person who's really another. The Christian is not only a dead person who is alive and one person who is another, but the Christian is a supernatural person living in a natural world. We live by faith of Jesus or in Jesus. Friend, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. You and I cannot live the Christian life. The only thing that we can do is to yield the control of our life every moment of every day to the control of God's Holy Spirit. And it is God's Holy Spirit that lives the Christ life through us. Some of y'all look like you don't really understand that. It's really a hard concept to get. The life that you and I now live is lived in yieldedness. We yield the control of our life to the Holy Spirit of God. The Christian life is not difficult for us. It is literally impossible. In fact, the Bible nowhere asks us to live the Christian life. It tells us to produce fruit. Where does that fruit come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. As you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. That's where it comes from. We enjoy resurrection life not because of anything inside of us, anything deserving inside of us. We do that because, as Paul says here, look what he says in verse 20. Just go back and read that with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. What does he say? Who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, we enjoy resurrection life not because of anything we've done, but because God in Christ loved us. Because he loved me and gave up himself for me. When you and I can understand that truth, when you and I can understand the truth that we've been crucified with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life, not because of anything we've done, but because of God's great love and mercy and grace towards us. Because Jesus loved himself and gave himself for us. When you and I grasp that truth, it impacts every area of our lives. So Paul, once again, makes it really clear in this passage of Scripture. There are two pillars of the gospel. The two pillars of the gospel are the grace of God and the death of Christ. The grace of God and the death of Christ. Grace means unmerited favor. God loved this world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The two pillars of the gospel are again are the grace of God and the death of Christ. Legalism destroys those pillars because legalism says... Living by good works or living by the law, if you want to call it that, that says the pillars of the gospel are not enough. I've got to add something else to what Christ has done. The person who insists that he must earn his salvation by his own efforts undermines the truth of the gospel. In fact, the Bible here says, as Paul says here, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died in vain. There wouldn't even need to die. Because if one person could live by the law, everybody could live by the law, and there wouldn't be any need for Christ to come live and die and suffer for our sins that we might be forgiven. 
So is legalism detrimental to the gospel? Of course it is. It always has been. And every false teacher and every false truth that you see, every false preacher that you hear, false teacher that you hear, I guarantee you they always try to add works to grace. For those of us who are believers, we ought to get really excited because we are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted because of God's grace, because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross, and not because of anything good in us, and not because of anything we've done. It's because of Jesus Christ. And it ought to set us free, as, as Paul's going to talk about when we get to Galatians chapter 5. If Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. We ought to be doing a happy dance every day. Because we not only do we not, we don't get saved by anything that we do. We get saved because of what Christ did. But not only that, the life that we live now is Christ living his life through us. It hasn't got anything to do with what we're doing. We are accepted in the Beloved. Salvation by grace through faith is the very foundation of Christianity. For these false teachers who were trying to poison the mind of these young believers, Paul would say, I've died to the law. It has no impact on me any longer. Paul, who was a legalist, that's what he grew up to be. Can you imagine how hard it must have been for Paul to put his faith and trust in Jesus? Can you imagine how hard it must have been for him every day of his life to fight against the truth that salvation was by grace and grace alone and not through anything a person did. Because Paul had been trained from the very earliest age of his life to trust in the law. And yet Jesus so radically changed the Apostle Paul's life. He said, I, all, that thing that, all that stuff that I had before I count as rubbish, as garbage, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. So let me ask you some questions as we come to the end of this message. Do you revel in the truth of what, what this passage teaches? Does it excite you? Is it the foundation of your hope for the future? When you mess up, when you and I fail miserably, when we sin still against Holy God, and I wish Christians, I wish when I got saved, I wish God would have ripped sin out of my life and it would just been gone. Don't you? Unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way. We still have our flesh and we still struggle with sin every day. But where do you turn when you have sin in your life? Do you, do you try to live a better life? Or do you trust in the grace and the mercy of God? When you approach the trials and the test of your life, do these verses bring comfort and strength to your heart? Because you know you're already accepted because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. When you look at the world, does the grace and the love of God, does that grip, grip your heart? Guys, I have to be honest with you. I struggle with that a lot. This world is getting so evil every day. It seems like somebody's ramped to push the button and the hamster's running faster and faster every day and evil seems to be getting worse. And I just have to remind myself, God's promise this is going to happen before Jesus comes back. 
I'm supposed to let the Holy Spirit live Christ's life through me so that I can point people to Jesus because He's the only one that can change that. I can't. Our good works, guys, if they bring honor and glory to God, they're worth something, okay? But as far as bringing us into any kind of right relationship with God or bringing us closer to God, you're already accepted in the Beloved. If we would grasp that one truth right there, we would all be so happy. We would be walking on cloud 19 when we walked out of here. But we all struggle with it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, how grateful we are for the salvation that's been provided for us in Christ. Lord, we, uh, we confess to you we struggle with the concept of grace and grace alone. And yet our salvation, our justification is based on what Christ did at Calvary, not on us. And Lord, the way salvation becomes a reality in our life is when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us. Lord, I pray we as believers would grasp this truth that it would literally permeate our minds and our hearts so that we might live lives that are pleasing unto you and point people to our Savior. And Father, for every person here that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that they'll quit trusting in their good works and turn to Christ and cast their self on your mercies. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, decisions need to be made today. I pray, Lord, that nothing will stop people from making decisions that are pleasing unto you. Lord, I pray it and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, let me just ask you this. Are you still trusting that your good deeds are going to outweigh your bad deeds and one of these days God's going to let you into heaven? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can have eternal life today. You can know with certainty where you're going to spend eternity. If you'll come and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation, and that'll be an opportunity for you to do just that. Come take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to invite Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. And I want to be justified. I want to be put in a right relationship with God by accepting what Jesus did for me at Calvary. I'll be more than happy to, to talk with you further and lead you through that process of actually inviting Christ into your life. But that'll be your opportunity to respond. And for those of us who are believers in Christ, let me just say this. Guys, legalism is a grace killer. Even as believers in Christ, we so much want to live by checklist. Because it's so much easier. A checklist is so much easier than grace. But guys, I want you to know you're accepted by Jesus Christ. You're accepted by God in Jesus Christ by the Beloved. If you're struggling with sin in your life, if you're struggling with concept of who you are, if you're doubting your salvation, you don't have to. God's Word is given so that we don't have to doubt any longer. If there's a decision that you need to make today, 
I'm going to pray that I'm just going to ask that you come. Maybe you need to come pray at the altar. It's open for you. Maybe you need to come and have your pastor pray with you. I'd be more than happy to do that. But would you honor Christ by making a decision that brings that that does what he wants you to do by ask, by doing what he's asking you to do this morning? A lot of times I think the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and we're so we're more afraid what other people are going to think about us than what God thinks about us. God forbid that that would be the case today. Let's stand together and sing and you come as God's Holy Spirit speaks to your heart.